Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome Hello. to the Genuine Men's Movement um, and uh, the Genuine Men's Zoom live call today. Um, we are blessed and honored to have an, a, a wonderful uh, group of speakers, uh, two speakers and, and a group of men on board. Um, let me uh, just quickly go over what we do. Genuine Men is a movement consistent of a show, a podcast, workshops, and now weekly Zoom Lives that express the often unheard, honest views of men from various backgrounds, cultures, religions, and life experiences. It's also a rare opportunity for men to have a platform to express their views, their thoughts, their perspectives, and obstacles in life with other men on topics that are impactful for them, their families, community, and society as a whole. It's also an unfiltered and unadulterated look at what life is like from a man's perspective. I'm the host, I'm Reham, and I'm a Genuine Men's Coach. I'd like to welcome our Genuine Men that are on board today, Liaqit and Nick. Hello. And I'd also like to welcome our two wonderful uh, guest speakers. Today is our 10th episode, and uh, we're, talking about, we're talking about overcoming the fear and building resilience. So um, Dr. Nadim, and Scott, uh, Dr. Nadim Bhatti and Scott McMillan are our guest speakers today. Let me introduce you to them. Dr. Nadim is a family GP, happily married with three boys. He is interested in martial arts, books, and writing. He's currently looking at ways to bring mainstreaming martial arts, uh, I'm sorry, bring martial arts into uh, healing resources in a mainstream way into his medical practice. He's a black belt in Taekwondo and Hapkido, and he's even done a bit of stand-up comedy. We look forward to hearing about that. Welcome, Dr. Nadim. Hello, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. No worries. Call me and Nadim, please. It's a bit, Dr. Nadim seems really bulky. <laughs> no worries. Nadim it is. And we've got Scott on, on board as well. Uh, having been bullied as a kid, Scott had to deal with feelings of anger and frustration. He realized he was struggling with confrontation. On his quest to learning what being brave meant to him, he began to invest in his physical strength and his mental prowess. As he took up athletics, he got faster and stronger. He started learning karate, then transitioned to sh sh Shotokan. Correct me, please, about that. Um, Shotokan, yeah. Shotokan, okay. Then Taekwondo ultimately winning belt titles and representing Scotland domestically and in the world championships. Scott went on to become the Scottish national Taekwondo coach and his men's and women's team earned recognition and winning comp uh, competitions. Then he retired as a coach and came back into competition to fight at the WTA world championships where he attained one of his lifelong goals, winning the world championship title at the young age of 46 in a category of 36 year olds. Well, Scott. Yeah. Hi guys. Hello. <laughs> so tell us a bit about um, what inspired you both to go into martial arts. What, what led you to the, to the path of being a martial artist? Nadim, you can go first. <laughs> well, what led me into the path of being a martial artist? Um, I think the idea of being bullied at school is, I think, a very common theme. And um, 
you know, you know, and I and I think a lot of people. I wonder, you know, why would they go into uh, martial arts and learn to protect themselves unless they didn't feel insecure in some way? Um, but um, certainly for me, you got to remember, I I grew up as a kid in the seventies, and it, you know, we were, I was in a pretty kind of, you know, I wasn't in a, you know, we were in a kind of pretty working class kind of environment because we were immigrants. And um, I remember, you know, there was a sense that, you know, we were, I was insecure and people would, you know, I can remember having thoughts of, you know, having incidents where people would cross the street to actually punch you. And that kind of thing would happen all the time in the 70s. Doesn't happen now. Uh, and it's a very different world. But in the 70s, it was very different. You would be, you know, you'd be walking down the street and someone would shout out something. Uh, and that was just a normal way of life. So I think um, I, my, my brain really just thought, how do I deal with this? And um, I think in the 70s, the other big thing was the only, uh, one of the big role models that came out of nowhere. And I, I, I could probably put money on it that Scott probably has something similar was Bruce Lee, you know, and, and he, you know, he just looked amazing. And I remember, I think I was about seven and I walked into a friend's house and it was in a tenement block and he'd just won some competition and he'd won about hundred Bruce Lee posters. And, I, and as room was covered with posters from the floor to the ceiling. And there was this guy in a, a like, like something out of, you know, like a pop star with a black and yellow tracksuit flying across the air. And he's standing in front of all these mirrors with a, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the into the dragon scenes. And he just looked so amazing. And I think that has probably had one of the biggest impressions on me than, than almost anything. And was, and then I think when I was a bit older, um, you know, I got a chance, I heard about karate and ka everything was karate then. All martial arts was karate. That was all it was. And my, my, I, I heard about, I had a friend, my, my, my cousin's friend was a black belt. And that was just like, you know, he might as well have been like David Bowie or something, you know, walking in black belt. Whoa. And uh, I think I literally had a crush on this guy. I'm, I'm completely heterosexual, but, but I think I must have had a crush on this guy because he could, he was a black belt and he could do things like, you know, kick and everything. So he took me along to a place called the Kobe Osaka Karate Club in Glassford. And I think that chap was probably one of the, the guy that ran that was a guy called Tommy Morris. I think he was probably one of the first black belts in Scotland. And I went there and I, I did karate and it was amazing because, you know, I suddenly lost weight my self-esteem improved. I literally took on bullies that I'd actually um, sort, of, sort of persecuted me almost at school. And, and that was it. And um, uh, I carried on doing uh, that for, a, for, a, for about a year or something. Then I left and I got involved in school. And then I'd, later on, I discovered um, Taekwondo with friends that had done that. And, and that was it. And I just carried on. Um, uh, and uh, I think also there was the, the, the thing when I, I was growing up in the 70s, coming from a Muslim background, 
literally the only positive role model that I had around me uh, was Muhammad Ali, and I, and he was a boxer. So the whole idea of martial arts and using that to kind of create a sense of self-esteem and to sort of almost fight back and stand up for yourself, it all seemed to come through some kind of martial arts. And, and that was basically it. That, that, that's what uh, led me to carry on. And obviously later on, um, I mean, I'll talk about that later if you want, but the idea of using martial arts as a kind of therapy, I, I, I don't think it's been, I don't think it's really been utilized and um, kind of picked up by the medical profession as much yet. yet. So that, that's one of the things that I'm kind of quite interested in doing just now. Um, sorry, Scott probably wants to. All right. <laughs> I thought I'd been talking a little bit. My turn. <laughs> so, was that a question? Ram, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead, please. Yeah. Right. As you said in your, um, in your introduction, um, when I was a kid, I was, I was kind of bullied. And um, one of the things that, you know, that wasn't probably on the introduction that I sent you was the fact that at the age of 10, my dad died. Uh, so all I had was my mom, my twin brother, and myself. And, and, and this bullying thing was, 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 very, was very prevalent um, because I, you know, my dad wasn't about. And, and I, needed, I needed to do something about it. And I kind of realized that um, after I'd been going to like a swimming club or something, and I felt the more I was doing exercise and the stronger I was getting, the more confidence I was starting to feel. Now, as a kind of 10, 11 year old, you do notice a difference, especially when you've had that kind of major shock in your in your life. And and I just got in, involved in the swimming part of the swimming team, did the galas, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I fell into martial arts from my athletics so, because I left swimming and moved into um, athletics, which I was doing for years. Um, again, because I wanted to be I wanted to be faster and I wanted to be stronger because I was kind of feeding. I suppose I was feeding my confidence, really, because, you know, the more I was doing, the faster, the stronger I was getting, the more confident I was feeling. You know, to face any kind of confrontation, not, still not there in terms of facing confrontation, but I was on the right path, and you could feel that. I could feel I was on the right path. Um, during my athletics career, um, because of the way, the rate of which I was, my legs were growing, I was tearing hamstrings left, right, and center. And uh, at the... Down in the track one evening, there was two gentlemen that came and joined the, 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 spring, the spring group, which I was part of. Um, first gentleman was the name of, uh, goes by the name of Pat Mackay, um, five times world karate champion. And his training partner was Tommy Barnes. Um, he was, these guys were getting ready for um, the world championships. Uh, I think Pat was going for a precedented, but I think that was going for, he was going for his fifth defence. Um, and he came over to me and he said, you know, you, you guys move like lightning. He goes, what's happened to you? And he tore my hamstring again. He goes, why don't you come along and try karate? He goes, I'm not always having a hamstring. You know, you never know. Guess what I did? I went along to his class. I tried it. I went, I love this. This is it. And, and, and when you do something, that you like, 
there's, there's just that instant connection, right? This was in my blood. I didn't know it. Um, and that was, that was when I was 15 at the time. And, and since then, I've been involved in, in martial arts. You know, my, um, Pat and, and Tommy, Pat got, um, moved to the uh, Germany, to Germany to coach in the German team. And Tommy went away and did his one thing. So I, kinda, I, was, I was in a bit of a hiatus there. Um, and I got a friend of mine who did Shotokan. And we, we were practicing training in Shotokan for a while. And then he went off, did his own thing. And it was in the early, late 1990s, I found Taekwondo at the local leisure centre. And it was a competition. And these guys were throwing their legs about like you wouldn't believe. And I went, I want to do that. <laughs> so I just went, that's it. So I, I went and... Um, took my first class in the December of 1990, November, December. It was the tail end um, of the year. And I started proper uh, after like the Christmas break, if you want. That was back in 1990, 1991. I've been doing Taekwondo ever since. Uh, it's a long time. That's 30 years, I think. 30 years Taekwondo. 26 years of black belt. And 20 years of my own club. In its current state, so that's how I got into it. It was kind of by accident, really, but it was it was a nice accident. Well, it's amazing how certain things come into your world without you planning for it, and it changing the outcome of your or the trajectory of where your world would be or your life yeah. could be potentially. And and the fact that you both had the courage to say yes, this is something that I'm may need this is something that i could benefit from and then offering it to others is a common theme that you both have tell us yeah. a little bit more about that like what is it that you, like how do you serve your 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 um students right now i uh, i use personal experience um as the backbone of of how you know and i'll see kids that'll come in and you know those kids adults as well actually um they've got different backgrounds and, and, and training taekwondo for different reasons there's, there's some of them the parents will bring the kid in and say uh oh, jimmy he's, he's having a tough time at school you know he's just lacking confidence he's just really shy and and that's great because i can i can relate to that i can take myself back to where i was quite shy as well very timid very very slight um and, and I can relate in that in, in that regard. Um, I can also relate to the, the fact that some of the kids, because I had you know nephews and stuff that would just go like needed discipline. Some of the parents would bring them in and 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 they wanted discipline, but the discipline only really works in Taekwondo if the parents can take it home and work it at home, uh, and and that the message across across every day of the week if you want, whether it's Taekwondo or or whether it's whether fitness, you know, I've got men. Their kids don't like team sports. They don't want to play rugby. They don't want to play football. They don't like team sports. Mom's trying to get them involved in something to keep them fit. So there's many, many uh, different reasons. Um, I'll use the, the the confidence one quite a lot because parents will want their kids to be confident in themselves so when they look in the mirror they, they, they like what they see 
And the confidence thing, one was just what I've said, really. The stronger I got, the more skillful I got, the more I understood, the more confident I got in myself. Um, and, and you use your own personal experience to teach the student base. Um, hard work is another one. I've got, I've got some that are elite athletes. I've got a six and a seven time world champion. Um, I guys are, are completely blinkered rather, not blinded, blinkered, um, to, to their goal. And you help them out that way. I mean, there's, there's so many different people we ha I have running through my club for very, very different reasons. I've got some ladies that are coming for self-defense. How, you know, how, how do I support them? Well, actually, having had and in the receiving end of some, some punches, um, I, I can understand what it's like to be, to be bullied and to be hit. Um, some of the some of the situations you need to tell me a bit about, and I try and empathise a wee bit. Um, but I know what it's like when you when you run um, a martial arts class, and you look at the the students standing in front of you, and you have a, a good look at them. There's a lot of them there for different reasons. Some of them are friends are there, so they're making it a social event every Tuesday and every Thursday. They'll go down to the club, they'll do their training, they'll sweat, they'll see they'll see their pals before and after, and catch you next week, yeah? So it's a social thing. So many different reasons um, for, for my students doing, doing uh, Taekwondo, and that's how I connect with them, because in every single one of those situations, I can nearly make a connection, nearly. Most of them I can, but some I can't. So I try and empathise as much as I can. Well, that's an extra muscle right there that you're talking about, empathy, which is oh, yeah, sometimes yeah. hard to come by. There's, there's, um, I've currently, with the, the, the lockdown situation, I've currently got at least three, possibly four students that I know of um, struggling with um, mental health issues, um, depression, anxiety. One of them is a 17, she may be 18, no, I don't know, can't remember, 18-year-old um, girl who is, um, she's a brilliant student, She'd come to class three, three, three sessions a week um, and she'd do her own training and she'd work and all the rest of it. But because she's, she's in this lockdown situation, her anxiety has hit the roof. Her mum and dad's been in contact with me. She's been in contact with me. And, you know, when it comes to mental health, there's not really much I can do. I'm not qualified. I can I'll give them an ear to chew if they want. Well, maybe that's a bad word. I need to talk into. Um, but I'll, I'll listen to them. You know, I've got, I've got a, a gentleman who's a really, really good friend of mine. He's in uh, his mid-40s, heading into uh, his late 40s. And he's depressed. He, he is. He's, he's suffered with it over the years. And part of his medication was Taekwondo. <laughs> and the doctor said that, you know, what keeps you going, what keeps you stable, is the fact you're doing something you love. I, don't get me wrong, I, I knock his pan in and when we do circuits and stuff. I do the, the elite. He, does, he jumps into the elite stuff. You know, he'll last as long as he lasts and he'll drop out and take a drink. And, you know, that's how he's had his medicine for the day. And that's, you know, there's different people from elite right the way through, different backgrounds. Um, and, and currently, there's, I'm, I'm, I didn't know these people had... I knew my friend had it, but I didn't know these young girls and that, that young lad had it until I was told. So 
and I'm just helping them any way I can. I'm trying to get my, I'm, trying, I'm teaching online, and it's helping a little bit. You know, these guys are getting their, their, their taekwondo fix, um, and that seems to be helping in some ways. It creates a, a level of stability in a very unstable time um, for many people, yeah. and and we commend you for it. How about you, Nadim? What are your views on um, how you provide service, and if you could share a bit more about you know the the type of treatment that you're offering using taekwondo uh, with your patients? Well, um, everything Scott said there, I mean, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with that. And I, I see that. And even with myself, I see that. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the idea of the, you know, you, you're talk, if you're talking about overcoming fear and building resilience, I honestly don't think I can think of many things that are better than martial arts from that point of view. Because when you're doing these martial arts, and especially something like Taekwondo or Karate or whatever, you're having to deal with that sense of fear. It's actually palpable because there's another guy there in front of you. And if you're not careful, he might not hurt you, but you know, you, you have to deal with that fear of the other person in front of you and how you deal with them. So you, and I think the more you do it, the more you learn to deal with that fear and manage it. I don't think Completely goes away, but you learn um, doing some kind of martial arts training, and I certainly think I had that for myself. Um, and um, I think, you know, obviously now I'm, you know, I, I found that it was difficult for me to carry on my training and and go there regularly. Whether I, I don't know whether I just got lazy or uh, my attention got focused on to studies, I wasn't able to get back into something until. I was um, sort of about second year of uni. So I think it was about 1987, uh, third year of uni. And my, my friends had then discovered Taekwondo. And it, the, the reason that I went along to Taekwondo was then more of a social thing because they were all going, so I would go along with them. So it was a place where we, you know, we didn't drink, we didn't, you know, smoke or anything. So this was kind of like our activity that we did. So that was great. Um, and and I, I think what, 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 once I came out of this, uh, once I was working as a GP, um, you know, obviously I do, um, you know, I see people who have got mental health issues, physical issues, uh, problems with obesity, you know, the whole, you know, mind, body, and even spiritual issues. Um, and it just seemed to me such a perfect fit that martial arts could help so many people. And for years, what I'd say is, would you fancy doing some martial arts? And I'd write down the name of a club on a piece of paper and I would give it to them. And they would say, okay, I might look into that and everything. And then it just seemed like, when I looked around, I thought there's no way of kind of, there, there isn't anything where these two worlds have kind of got married, you know, the, 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 the medical world and the martial arts world. And I could, I think from the position that I was sitting in, I could see how things were, you know, the, the, the martial arts world benefited these people that I was seeing as patients in so many ways. Um, you know, Scott was talking about confidence building. I mean, that's totally a mental thing. Um, it helped people in so many ways in terms of anxiety, depression, um, you know, there's the physical side of it, which everybody can see. It's a physical uh, 
activity, so it helped them in terms of obesity and the metabolic problems, diabetes and everything. But even the spiritual side of it, I could actually see where it would actually help people even on a spiritual level. I mean, I saw guys who were a lot older who were never going to be um, you know, world champions or anything, but the fact that they were getting involved in this and, and pushing themselves forward, um, I thought I, I, they just looked different. And um, I, think, I, I think I can see that for a lot of people, um, I think in the West, we've lost a lot of rites of passage. You know, we, we've, you know, you know, if you were maybe uh, in a tribal society, there'd be a rite of passage. There'd be a point where you became a man or you went from a certain uh, place to another place and you would go through something. I think we've kind of lost that in a lot, in a lot of areas in the West. And I think martial arts kind of provides that. Even the fact that you're going up this grading, you're going up these belts, it's kind of like there's almost like a regular rite of passage. And I can, I can really see where that gives you this sort of sense of confidence. And I think we've lost that. Maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know why that is we've lost it in the West. Maybe we've developed technology to a level where we feel we don't need it. I think that's a big, big part of it. Um, and that's some, one of the things that I really see martial arts helping. So from my point of view, you know, I really wanted to find, I think... I wanted to find something that I could make a difference to these patients that would come in. Um, so sometimes I'm seeing like maybe 40 patients a day and so all sorts of things. And this was something that I thought if I could harness martial arts in some way, number one, it doesn't cost anything. Uh, it doesn't, it's not like you're buying expensive equipment. Uh, it, when I say it's not costing anything, I mean, it's not costing the NHS anything. It might be costing them a little bit. So it, you know, I thought it was perfect from that point of view. And I thought it's, you've got these other instructors um, who are not just looking out for people in terms of their technique, but there are people who are actually looking out for them in terms of their mental health. And Scott was kind of talking about that. But, you know, and I've seen that with other martial arts instructors. It's almost like they've got a little family and they're looking after the family in a way and you know you know and I thought that kind of experience and some of them have been doing this for maybe 20 30 years that is invaluable experience and to be able to use that in some kind of therapeutic sense and I know that's not what they're necessarily there for but the fact is there is a therapy there and um, there was a thing that was developed a few years ago and and it was um, it was called you know, exercise, I don't, I don't, you know, you could get a prescription for exercises. You can send people to a gym. Now that's fine. You can send people to a gym and that's great. But again, you know, it's kind of like, I think lifting a dumbbell up and down is one thing, but being in part of a class where you're connected to maybe 30 people around you and the instructor who is actually giving you a lot of attention and giving, and, and you're going back there again and you're developing yourself you're developing a connection to community. To me, that is where, you know, the, the, the epidemic of depression, it, it's not because, you know, it's because we, we, I feel that we have lost connection with a lot of people around us, with our communities around us. Um, and I know, you know, you know we, we prescribe antidepressants and things like that. There's a place for it. But I just don't think it's, it's a place that's, 
as justified as as, as uh, for the numbers of, of of tablets that we give out. I mean, I think you know, in ten minutes, a GP has to see somebody, and in ten minutes, he's got a, you know, he just doesn't have the time. Uh, so that was it, and so I I came up with this idea, and I'll just show you. Um, this is the template. It's called Martial Arts on Prescription, and uh, I think Scott will have seen this before because one of the one of his students who runs a club now is one of the first people that got involved. And uh, she's a very nice lady who works uh, down in, in one of the areas. So I kind of piloted this to see if this would, this would help. So we've piloted it with about 10 GP surgeries in the West End. And the idea is that people come in and I actually literally prescribe some martial arts for them. And the, the clubs that got involved, they've been quite helpful in that they, they, they've sort of said, look, you know, we'll give them four free weeks. And the idea is that they go away and then if, the, if at the end of four free weeks, they think, I like this enough to carry on doing this, honestly, that is huge. That, that's huge. Because for someone to take on something, to go from being depressed or not being at home, you know, being at home, not getting involved in the community, not being, doing anything, to then actually want to take on something, that's huge. You, you've basically, you know, you've not just given them a fish. You, you, you've taught them how to fish. You've taught them how to deal with all sorts of things. You've literally given them a community, something that they can go back to again and again. So anyway, that, that's the idea. And we start piloting it in the West End. Um, we'd come up with ideas to use this in the South Side as well. But unfortunately, the whole coronavirus thing has happened. So everything's kind of taken a backseat because of that. Um, and, and we're hopefully going to do that in the in the uh, East End as well. So that that's my idea. I, I think for me, you know, when 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 um, uh, Scott was talking about the, these people that are doing the World Championship, it's almost like it's in my blood as well. You know, I'd love to go and do that, but I think I have to accept that maybe my path has gone down a different angle now. That maybe this is where my path is. That I might not be able to do it myself but maybe I can open up a pathway for other people to do this. So that's kind of, I think, maybe where, um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of putting my, my talents. But I still like the whole idea of martial arts. I can't, there's something about martial arts that I think, you know, I think people need to, to be able to engage with people, uh, you know, and, and I think you just don't get that with, with other sports often, maybe with squash and these things, but you know, um, I think that's part of the part of the part of the attraction. So I don't know. In terms of overcoming fear and building resilience, that's what I think. Uh, you know, I think that's what this um, uh, th this is a way for me to start be able to um, prescribe and kind of pass it on to other people. Don't let that answer your question. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, each of you come from a very different perspective, but it's about how you're reaching your own championships in a way that's true for each of you. So as Scott goes through the actual physical championships of competitions, you're, um, Nadim, going through the championship of um, mental and emotional well-being and health. 
um, and mental fitness. Um, and, and you're both offering that equally um, to your, your patients, Nadim, and to your students, Scott, and to their parents. And, and that's to be commended. And being that you both are in, in many ways frontliners, thank you for your service. Um, I wanted... I wanted to, yeah, no, it's true. It is. I mean, especially in this time of uncertainty, it's all about the stability. And, and um, as um, Dr. Nadim just prescribed, um, mental fitness equals social interaction to some healthy level, obviously, given the, the circumstances, and, um, and, and a level of martial arts that can um, aid us all um, to create that semblance of stability in our lives. Um, Nick, I hear you have a question. Go at it. Hi, yeah, I do. Um, just because I didn't want the chat to go on too far from what Nadim just covered, I really wanted to get Scott and Nadim's point of view on this. And it was around what he was saying about rite of passage and community and mentorship. And I think, I see a lot of the crisis in masculinity at the moment because there perhaps isn't the role model of the tribe leader or um, you know, a religious figure that people would follow. And young men now perhaps follow celebrities that actually aren't talented in anything and they fall from grace and things change in the season. And I think martial arts gives that community and, and that goal setting that people need to, to feel like they're advancing. So I wanted to ask maybe Scott first how he felt about that responsibility. I don't see it as a responsibility. Um, I, see it, I see it as a, I'm giving something back. I Going back to the introduction, I told you my dad passed when I was 10. Um, I had an older brother. But yeah, he was useless. He was in spent his time in his in Edinburgh with his family. No time. Um, but I had um, I consider myself very fortunate for the mindset that I had about trying to make myself uh, better and stronger, having the awareness of that I'm a kid, but I can be better than what I am, and, and trying to find something. And actually, the penny dropping that epiphany when I started to do all my, my, my swimming and, and compete and, and, and actually feel, um, feel that coming through my body. So I didn't really have a role model per se. Um, I trusted and relied on what I was doing and what I was feeling. But I do agree with you, Nick. There is a shortage of decent role models <laughs> in the wider public um, because a lot of them do go for their people off of... Uh, I don't know what these programs are, you know, the, 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 the ones where they're stuck in the jungle and you know, Love Island and all that kind of stuff. Shows you how much I know, right? Stars <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or movie stars, and you know, they cry the pop stars and movie stars because they've been about since, I don't know, 30s and 40s and 50s. But certainly the culture and um, how they portray themselves and the image that comes along with them. You, you know, getting back to Nadim's sort of rite of passage, and um, I like the structure. The structure was almost a role model in itself, and so was my instructors um, and how they went through it. Because I wanted to know how they did it, and I'm thinking to myself, "Geez, oh, you know, you know that I want to go like that." Um, 
and it means I've got to do this, and I've got to be tested every so often. And but everyone approaches it slightly different. Um, and to be a role model, I, I I just try to give people the same mindset I had about being a better person. You know, the the the, the saying and you know, saying as you you know you're not trying to be better than the person next to you. You're trying to be better than what you were yesterday. All right. So it really doesn't matter what the person to the left and to the right of you is. To have that self-awareness and understanding of where your strengths and weaknesses are is, is, is a massive thing. It was for me. Um, and I knew that, you know, I hated confrontation, so I need to be stronger. Okay, I was never going to be six foot because I'm five foot eight. So I need to be faster and cleverer, right? I can do that. Then I needed to, I needed smarts. I needed a gob as well, right? I'm not gobby, by the way. Um, but I needed, I needed the smarts just to survive on this planet. I had that thinking from a very, very young age. I know for a fact not everyone thinks that way. I actually think I'm probably, might, might even be uh, in the minority. Um, but in terms of role model, if I had a role model, if my brother was in the house, if my dad was alive, I think over this question a lot, they would be my instant role model in the same house. So, I, you know, I wouldn't need to rely on televisions. I wouldn't need to. But there is a severe lack of, of, of good models for the kids growing up, which is why sports. I'm going to bias martial arts, but I'll say sports, rugby, football, whatever. But I'll bias martial arts. Is good, and um, you know I've got a friend of mine whose who's sons, um, sons and daughter, uh, two sons rather, go and play rugby, and that's all they live for. So he's never coach. So it's now in the family. So the kids are now looking up to dad because dad's a coach. So yeah, I, I get that. I, I don't know if that's answered your question. I went off and I went off in one. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay, Nick? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. It's just, I just don't think I've ever thought about that, that role. And, you know, even yourself going into that, you maybe didn't see that until you saw that that's what these people really needed. I think that's just really yeah. interesting dynamic. I wanted to teach people Taekwondo and the benefits that that art could give. The, the discipline, the structure, uh, the achievement. Um, the, the physical and, and mental evolution. Um, the, the, there's, it's got so many facets. And, um, you know, I don't like things being watered down without, you know, without knowing what, what it can really do. So when people poo-poo anything, really, you know, let's understand this a wee bit more. And, and I try to understand it, and I try to give, you know, the, the, the students what they're looking for when they walk through the door. Why are they walking through the door? What is it they want from me? I, I'm, I've got no money, right? Uh, but what else do they want from me? What do they want from the art? How can I connect with them? And then I get to see, you know, the kid or the mom or the dad. I can start to draw a dynamic there and see what the kid needs. Being, you know, a father, you know, being a kid who never had his dad. You know, what if I was dad? What, what is he needing? It's discipline, whatever. And it does. It's right the way through the structure of Taekwondo. 
So I'll bias that bit of Taekwondo just a little bit with him. Maybe need a bit of fitness over there. So I'll do a bit of fitness. So you kind of, you kind of just look at them and you listen to what mum and dad say and you listen to what the kids are saying and you give them, you give them what you can from the different facets that Taekwondo's got. So as a, as a role model, I don't actually see it. I see like I'm giving people an understanding of an art um, and giving them the bit that they need at that point in time, which could be different weekly. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about Taekwondo for ages, so I do apologize. No, never, never apologize. This is exactly why we wanted you on today. So thank you both. Um, Liaqit, I believe you had a question. I've actually got a question for Scott and uh, Nadim as well. Um, using martial arts as a method of therapy is quite interesting, but is there a time for Scott and Nadim that you look at an individual and you go, you know what, I'm going to teach you martial arts because you're not in the right frame of mind. You can go away and end up doing damage, you know. Uh, it's an interesting thing. It happened a long time ago, and I still remember it. It's probably about 20 years ago or something. It was one of my friends, and um, he was always quite mischievous. He was always just doing silly things, annoying people all the time. And especially in his own house, he, he was only son, and he had, like, two sisters. He was always pester and annoy his sister. So I thought, right, I need to keep this guy busy. And she sent him away to a martial arts class. So he went, he was really into it. But the problem was he was coming home and trying to move on his older sister, which is causing a bit of a problem. So I know it's therapy, but is there, is, is there a time when you look at an individual and say, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea for you because you're not in the right frame of mind? Um, so obviously, Scott, you know what you thought of that, Nadim, which you know you maybe not prescribe that to that individual. The other thing I, um, that I would say with therapy and alternative therapy is music. I really enjoy music as a part of my life. You know, I kind of DJ, and I'm when I'm involved in music and I'm, I'm DJ, I can see the reaction of people and I can see them really becoming, getting them really excited and really happy and joyful and Almost if they're if they are down they, for a moment, it's an escapism, and you know they're into the music, and music has that type of effect. It's very yeah. therapeutic. It, it it has these kind of um, reactions where you listen to a music and it takes you back in a, a moment in, in time in your life. You know whether it's happy or sad, so it has that ability or that power or that influence as well. Is that something else you think it would be a therapeutic thing? The demo was going to ask you if, if you thought that was something that you know is is alternative because maybe really physical. Not everyone is into kind of the physicality of an activity. So, is there an alternative to someone who's not so physical that they can kind of get out of that kind of space of being down or depressed or having anxiety, and then? As I say, music kind of has that effect on people. What's your thoughts on that? Scott, obviously, from your perspective as an instructor, when someone comes into your class, what would you say? Yeah. Um, initially, you don't know the person until you speak to them. You don't know the dynamic of the family. 
<coughs> excuse me. Don't know what's until you've had time. There's there's certain forms you've got to fill in. Um, just to keep ourselves square in terms of our regulations. If there's a student that's misusing um, appropriate action, okay, the art is there to help defend themselves or to find another avenue, another facet that I talked about uh, in their life, a more positive one. Um, I have been in that position where I've had to ask people to leave the club because uh, I caught wind because nobody else told me um, of what they were doing. Silly little boy using it to bully other people. And as much as I went and understood what he was about, he never understood what, you know, what I went through. So as soon as I found out he was bullying and that, that's just, that's like sticking and the demo get this analogy, it's like sticking a finger in an open wound to me. <laughs> it's not very pleasant. Um, it brings back memories. So, uh, yes, if it's within the family and under the context of how it's been done, has it been done in a playful manner? Has it been done in an aggressive manner? Um, so context is, is really, really important before decisions are made. Um, I need to understand context before I kick them out of the club and I, and I do because we need to be we need to get to the, the, the bones of this what I teach is kicking and punching you know you can dress up the other the other benefits as, as much as you want but you're kicking and punching pads um, and you're sparring with people yeah because at the end of the day it's, it's an Olympic sport you can get into the Olympics and you can compete against someone else so that's what I do so you know you've got to be careful about what's been taught um, there's, there's certain aspects of the Taekwondo training that I'll not give to juniors. Well, fundamentally, because I don't want um, primary teachers or head teachers uh, phoning me up or at my front door, right? So I, I stop. Once we get to the sports side, once I get to a certain level, then I, I can teach the, the other stuff, you know, the dark side, to, to, to use a Star Wars expression. We'll show them that stuff. But you do, you, I'm constantly, Constantly being aware of people and I'm checking everything out and and if I hear something, I'll question it. Like the kids that I've, I've taken out of the class before, it's not what it's for. It's meant to be more positive. Yeah, but it's meant to def it's meant to help you defend yourself. Yes, if you're under attack. <laughs> not for going looking for it yeah so so that you know there's this context kids can take it all out of context and think oh well i know how to kick and punch so i'm going to practice this at school or on my sister or or wherever they've got to understand the discipline that comes with learning that and that's something that they learn in my club it's a discipline that they perform it in the class in front of me and if they go home and practice they're practicing on their own so because we've got solo drills called patterns so they practice that on their own, and it is on their own. Um, so I don't know if to, does that answer your question. Everything, everything's in context, guy. Yeah, it's actually just made me think of a movie. It was Cratty Kid. 
So you've got Mr. 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 Miyagi, and he teaching with the, with a principle, with a discipline, and with a manner in which how to, to take this art. And then you've got the, the the opponents who were very aggressive. It was just about competing and winning. And even if it means being dirty, you know, it doesn't matter. It was just achieving that goal. Whereas Mr. Yeah. Miyagi was this guy who was, yeah, the fighting there. Yeah, humble. Yeah. So I think the, the overall narrative that you you're obviously teaching your students is that which is, oh, yeah. which is you, you, you're, you're gonna have some um some good instructors out there, you're gonna have some bad instructors. Um it's fair to say I've you know, I've got come from you know, um two daughters, I've got grandson, all the rest of it. And, and, and you think about how I want to teach them, how do I want them to behave? So I think of these students as my kids, if you want my fork, call them what you want. And how do I want them to learn? How do I want them to behave? I want them to behave in a particular way. And for me, in the path that I've chosen, I don't want to be seen as a bad instructor. I want to be seen as a good instructor. The guys that will give them the rules, but also show them how far they can go. If competitions what they want to do um and if, it, if it's not let's watch your goals because you know going back to something that uh, nadine said we, we've got all these layers and levels uh within the art and some of the kids get to the first level they're milestone and they're focused on that um and i'm a great believer in mindset you have the right mindset, you can achieve what you achieve. And if the kid wants that first level, he wants the first level. You go do that. I don't know if that answers your question. Like, again, I'm just kind of zigzagging around the answer there. <laughs> uh, um, Nadine, would you like um, to answer? Yeah, before we wrap up. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, I think. I echo a lot of things that Scott was saying there, and I think he was being slightly kind of humble when he was saying all he's teaching is punching and kicking, because my experience with martial arts, and I'm sure somebody that's experienced him uh, and with the, you know, the number of years he's run his own club, which I think is a very different experience. I think running your own club and going and attending a club are two very, very different things. And... You know, like the instructor that I used to go to do Taekwondo with, there was a guy who himself couldn't necessarily jump up and do all these things. But there was something about his, the way his manner was and the way he taught people. I think it came down to the relationship that people developed with them. And that way people kept going back. And um, I think what people get out of the club, way much more than punching and kicking. And, and I think it was, I, I felt Scott was maybe just, not doing himself enough justice there because I think you get, yeah <laughs> but, but there's so much more and even even the thing about you know you gave me an example of somebody bullying somebody else what I've seen is that anybody who goes into a club a martial arts club as a bully doesn't stay long uh, in that club or doesn't stay long as a bully because that bully then gets because no matter one of the things you have to realize I think about martial arts is no matter how good you think you are, there's always going to be somebody better. You know, there's always some realize that you have to, you have to have a certain amount of certain amount of humility 
and even when you're sparring and doing things, there's a certain amount of humility, and and you have to, you know, I think you you begin to learn that. Um, in terms of me, I must admit, me using this as a therapeutic tool, it's one therapeutic tool that I've got that I can suggest that look, you know, this is something that I think might be good for you because it's still very much in a kind of developmental stage. I'm a wee bit careful about how people are going to take it um, because some people, you know, I mean, I, I, there was a patient that was outside and they were la having a laugh and they were saying, oh, Dr. Batty, you come in with a sore throat and he sends you to karate, you know, mm. you know and they were, all, they were all kind of joking about it, you know. So I thought, oh, right, I've obviously been pushing it on people a wee bit. But I think it's because it's a new thing and it's because I want, I want it to be out there and I want it to be something that a GP can sit there at his desk and go, do you know what? I, why don't I try this on him? Why don't I try some sort of, uh, why don't I send this? Well, this is something I could use. So I want to be, uh, I, want, I want it to be something that you know, GPs feel comfortable in prescribing, just the way they can send them off to exercise. Now it's not a problem for them to say, okay, I'll send them down to Scotston for, for, for some exercise or I'll send them down to Billouston for some exercise. So I'm looking at having this be out there that eventually they'll be able to use this. I, I think anybody that goes to it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a benefit. Even if they go there and go to two classes and say, I don't like this, but they'll then think, actually, this works better for me. And when you're saying about you know, music, Absolutely, music could be great. You know, yoga would be a fantastic way of dealing with it. But I, I think anything where they, anything that changes their state, their emotional state, their mental state, I think is something that we can that that can be used. And I think this is one of the things that I think general practice. Um, you know, I, I think when you're in a hospital kind of mode, you become a specialist, and that's all you can think about. And I think. The great thing about general practice is we're a bit more holistic. We're, we're more holistically minded and we're becoming more holistically minded. And general practice is now becoming a place where, you know, we're having links workers who are connected with all sorts of other things. And, you know, we have the physios now coming into general practice to see patients. So we're, we're, we're becoming more, much more aware that, you know, there are different places we can sort of delegate to. So that, what you're saying about music, totally, absolutely, it's a, 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 an area to go in. But um, uh, you know, but I, you know, I think martial arts is something that has been underused in this country. And if you think about it, you know, the way I see it is, you know, you've got these guys who are have been doing this stuff for thirty years, very experienced, very connected to people, very people sensitive, and we're not. And I, to me, it was just like we were missing a trick by not using them. And so th that was the thing for me. And um, to, to nick uh, a line from, I, I sometimes watch these podcasts and there's this guy called Joe Rogan. I don't know if, you, if you're aware of that. He's, he's just, I mean, he's a big in the podcast world. I think he's just sold his platform for I think 100 million or something like that. But he said something quite good. He's a martial artist does jiu-jitsu and he's done taekwondo and he was talking about this guy called Miyamoto Musashi who's a Japanese samurai warrior from about two or three hundred years ago and he's got a big tattoo of him on his arm and they were asking about him and, and they said and, and he came out with a quote of his and it was something like once you know the way 
in one area, you'll see it in others. And I think this is with, with martial arts, that you develop yourself in this area in a relatively safe way, and you then are able to apply those lessons that you learn to other areas, you know? And I think that that's one of the, I think that's one of the great things about martial arts. And yes, you could do that in music, you could do that in some other area, but to take yourself, again, back to what Nick was saying about the, the rite of passage, I think this is it, you know, it's, there's so many rites of passage in this, and then when you go through those, you, you know, you, you develop. Yes, martial arts, you could learn to defend yourself by, I don't know, picking up a weapon or something like that. Yes, fitness, you could go to the gym and you could become fit and, you know, pick up a dumbbell and uh, use that to become fit. Um, but I think that idea of the rite of passage and that sense of connection that you get with martial arts, I don't know many, too many things where you get that that quickly and that easily available. Um, and with so many different facets to the martial arts world, it's not just Taekwondo anymore. I mean, I did a bit of Hapkido and I absolutely loved what that opened up. And, you know, there's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's ones that are more suited to women, there's Wing Chun, there's all sorts of other things. So I, for me, I mean, Okay, therapy can come in all sorts of different forms, but you know, I think martial arts for me is something that it's just been underused at the moment. Um, and I think people still just see it as Jackie Chan, you know, Chuck Chucky, and that people have still got that idea. And I think, you know, it's it's something that I think it, that that I think needs to change. Um, and and Scott was talking about the whole thing about family and role models and you know he i know he's got daughters that are martial artists and he's got a grandchild now and you know alhamdulillah and he'll probably go into martial i've got two three young boys i've put my two boys into taekwondo and um you know again it's that it's because i, I and they could have done other martial arts i was thinking should they do brazilian jiu-jitsu should they do this should they do that then I thought, no, no, I want them to do the thing I did so that I can get involved with it and I can be a bit more, more of a role model and I can show them the patterns and I can show these things. And it's again, for me, I think it was about developing a connection between us as a family as well. So I think that's a big part of it. And in, in the East, martial arts were always passed on from families to people within the family. It was something that was very guarded. And I think it wasn't just about learning how to fight or defend themselves which maybe it was more important i think there was something about family connection and it's just the way you know in the in the olden days before we had universities colleges you know people would pass on their profession within the family and it was you know and that was very much what it was about so i don't know i think for me <clears throat> it, it, there's a lot of deeper levels to it and i can see in the east the way martial arts developed and i can see it developed a certain way and then in the in the west maybe you know because we we see martial arts maybe as another sport so it started as a sport but i can see how eventually there's going to be deeper and deeper levels like scott will probably tell you you know it's interesting the whole thing about when you have a black belt it's um uh, a black belt I, I don't know if this is true but i, I read a story that 
a, there wasn't actually a such a thing as a black belt. It was a white belt that just got more dirty <laughs> over time and it became black. I don't know if that's true, but anyway. In the, early, in, in the way early days, um, there was no such thing as a black belt. It was, um, in fact, in the, in the early days, they didn't actually have the, the, the suits. The suits weren't there. The suits didn't actually, the suits didn't actually come to be um, until the 1920s. Um, maybe slightly earlier than that, but 1920s um, came to be. And um, the, 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 the colour belt system that you see in most arts, they'll change the colours to, to, to equate to a different level. First, or, um, which was obviously a derivative of uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu and, and they put a belt system in place uh, because, well, because they wanted to, I suppose. Uh, I never actually found out what the reason was. Uh, and, and it was that belt system that was um, taken on board initially by, um, it was a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Gishin Funakoshi who shared uh, Tokyo University. Now, Gishin Funakoshi was, is known to be the father of Japanese karate, um, but he shared, Jap he shared uh, Tokyo University with a, a gentleman by the name of Jiguro Kano. Jiguro Kano was the creator of judo, and he, would, he started his life in jiu-jitsu. Uh, and Japanese jiu-jitsu uh, comes from the, um, the parent art, is, is basically the hapkido that, um, that Nadim's a black belt of, and uh, you guys probably don't know this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Nadim and I used to train years ago in Kaitha. So, uh, all that kind of came in the, the suits, um, they came in 1920s. So, it's just been a, it's been a recent thing, it's not been a historic thing. And the belts never existed, they never existed until the 1900s. What's amazing? Thank you for the for the history lesson because I'm, I know personally I didn't know that um, having done martial arts for many years of my life. Um, but um, what I do know is that even if the belts didn't come into um, you know being, except for much later, the the principles of mental fitness did. Uh, Nadim's right. It's it's. Um, they kept it in the family, they kept it, uh, they kept the growth there. The role model was instant. It's, I'll go back to a statement I made earlier about this instant role model I may have had if my dad was alive, my brother stayed at home. Um, and, and, it's, and it's even more a connection. This is something I made with my grandson and my daughters. Uh, I didn't have sons. Uh, because I was able to show and lead them you know, my, my oldest daughter, she's a police officer now, but before she became a police officer, she was in the ladies' uh, taekwondo team. She's Southern Europe and whatever else. That held her in good stead. And, and I helped her get there. Any questions she had in the house or in the dojang, which is her training hall, yeah, no problem. I'll answer that. The other one's in Glasgow somewhere. Oh, no, she's just finished her uh, immunology and pharmacology degree. So she's away working. So, and, and because she knows they are, and because I've shown them, and I feel relatively comfortable that they're going to be safe as well. And I've still got that connection because they're both still training. Kind of nice. It's nice having it in the family. I'm going to say. Well, I, I could listen to you guys forever, 
honestly, um, because this concept of martial arts and resilience have always come hand in hand for me. And I thank you for introducing it to our audience if they've never been introduced to it or reaffirming it um, to our audience uh, for those that have possibly never looked at martial arts in such a holistic and or diverse uh, framework. Um, so thank you, uh, Nadine and Scott. And thank you, Nick and Liaqid, for joining us today. Um, it has been a really powerful session for me because this is near and dear to my heart. So um, I'm glad that we were able to work out um, a time for both of you to join. Uh, join us next episode, next Thursday, of the Genuine Men's Chat uh, Zoom Live. We've got a, a Genuine Men's Chat show uh, episode coming up um, in June. Uh, listen to our podcast and share, like, and follow the Genuine Men's Chat on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Join the Genuine Men's Chat Facebook group to join other men in the discussion. And remember, our motto in 2020 is many men, many conversations. Have you taken your seat at the table yet?